0: You found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? It was different. But it was good, thanks to oyster dressing. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Win some, you lose some. So, uh, so anyway, we are decking the halls tonight at five o'clock. So if you want to come back and help us put up a Christmas tree and some lights, we'd love to have you back. Five o'clock, and uh, I don't know. There's an hour or so, maybe an hour and a half, and. We transformed the place, and it looks pretty good. So we'd we'd love love to have you. So this morning, I'm going to get the privilege of dedicating a little baby when she's not as little, uh, though I guess as I think of her. So Lindsay's going to come up. She desires to dedicate her daughter, Gracie, to the Lord. Come on up here. Right over here. Good. Hey, you? All right. So Gracelyn Renee Reynolds was born on April 3rd, 2019, and Lindsay chose Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13 as her life verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Children are a gift from God. Psalm 127.3 says, Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. As believers, we are called to recognize that children belong first and foremost to God. God in his goodness gives children as gifts to parents. They not only have the awesome responsibility of caring for this gift, but also the wonderful privilege of enjoying the gift. Because children belong to God and are given by grace as gifts to parents, it is only proper and appropriate that we that children be dedicated back to God. In the Gospels, we read that people brought little children and babies to Jesus so that he might place his hands on them and pray for them. In the same way, Lindsay brings her daughter, Gracie, presenting first herself and then Gracie to the Lord our God. Lindsay? I call your attention to the commands of Scripture that God has given us. Deuteronomy 6, 4-7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Instead, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So God's instructions are pretty clear. Lindsay, love God with every ounce and fiber of your energy and teach Gracie to do the same. From your example, she must learn to pray. From your example, she must learn to read and and love the Bible. And from your example, she must learn the way of fellowship with Christ. As you love God and one another in your home, you will model before Gracie a wonderful and authentic love for God that she will want herself. Lindsay, by coming forward before God and his people, do you hereby declare your desire to dedicate yourself and your daughter Gracie to the Lord? Having come freely, I ask now that you enter into the following commitment in the presence of God and his people so that Gracie may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers. Do you, Lindsay, promise by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide Gracie a Christian home of love and peace to raise her in the truth of the Lord's instruction and discipline, and to encourage her one day to trust Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. And finally, I ask the church to make a promise as well. As believers in the body of Christ, we have a responsibility to share Christ with the younger generation. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Would you please stand? Having come freely... I ask now that you make the following commitment before God and those who stand before you so that Gracie may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers. Do you promise by God's help to be faithful in your role as members of the body of Christ, to help Lindsay be faithful to God and to help teach and train Gracie in the ways of the Lord so that she might one day trust him as Savior and Lord? If you accept this responsibility, please respond by saying we do. I like your faith. Let's pray for Gracie. You want to come here? Yeah, sure you do. You know me. Maybe a little bit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to come before you and thank you so much for this beautiful gift, Gracelyn Renee Reynolds. It shows you are a good God. And the gift of this little girl to Lindsay and Braylon and our church family is such a blessing. And so we want to ask you to bless her. Bless her life We pray that she becomes a light in her home, in her school, in her family, wherever she goes. We pray, Lord, you would protect her and keep her, and we pray the hard days that come before her would be short and effective to teach her and train her, Lord. We pray she would love your word, and we pray that she would be a prayer warrior, and we pray that she would be somebody who leads others to follow you. Lord, we give her to you today. We put her in your hands, knowing that you're going to lead her to Jesus and that she'll trust in, in him to be her savior. We pray for Lindsay and ask you to strengthen her and give her what she needs to be the mom that would uh, help t- teach and train Gracie to grow up and to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Say <laughs> hi. Thank you. You may be seated, and Pastor Randy's going to come. I'm so thankful for for you, my friend. And, uh, is it is that good? Yep, right there. Is
1: that a good place to stand? Just a good spot,
0: really. Uh, I want it to be just right. I feel good. Okay,
1: Graceland. What a great name! You know what Graceland is, don't you? You do. That's where Elvis lived, right? You know, it's also one of the best songs ever written by Paul Simon. And I love that song. I love that album. And one of the things I heard Paul Simon say once is that, I don't know what you think of Paul Simon, maybe not much, but um, I remember he said that he got about halfway through that song and he realized it wasn't about Graceland anymore. It wasn't about going to Graceland. And I always took that for my own life to mean it became a gospel song at that point. And Graceland was really Grace Land, The land of promise in heaven that we're going to. Well, here is another of my final sermons. I think it was two or a couple of years ago when I stood here and said, this is it. This is my last time that I'm going to speak. And um, I really wanted it to be. And, it, it, you know, uh, I have gone forward with the Lord More often than not, saying no, which I don't know why I can't stop that, but always saying no first, and then through discipline or awakening, going ahead. And I guess that's okay. There's a better way to do it. So I guess this is another in the series of final sermons. Um, But today I kind of want to think of it this way. You know, I started out working. Uh, in youth evangelism with Youth for Christ and we used to kind of talk about what we did in sharing the gospel with kids sharing our lives as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread and so I've encouraged myself to be able to stand here this morning and say that's that's all that I'm doing one beggar me telling another beggar you where to find bread where to find the bread of life and um, it is a just a great privilege for me to stand before you this morning. I love this church. Um, it's just been really good for me. Today, I hope to show you a couple things. One is a beautiful prophecy, which we've already read the first five verses. And and number two, what I believe to be a very helpful and practical application of that to our lives. And so, really, what I what I hope to place before you is just some encouragement and. Some, some more good news from God to the people of God. Some more good news to the waiting people of God. And I think that's what we all need. I think that's that's what I come to church every Sunday. Just just give me a little more good news to. to I can get through next week or tomorrow. So let's get started. There are note sheets around. If you didn't get one, um, there are some extras. You feel free to get up and go pick one up. They're on the seats. Um, I'm not as fancy as Pastor Greg. With all the, I like that. But um, So first of all, I want to start with a little history, kind of a, the context of, of the prophecy when we find it. and And the dates for this or the, the time period would be um, after the, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom of Israel was split in two, and there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And it was during the time of, of King Hezekiah and, of course, the prophet Isaiah. And at that time, um, the world power was Assyria, which I think is around modern-day Iran, if I'm, if I'm thinking right. And their king's name was Sennacherib, and that was up north of, of the Judah, the southern kingdom, which we're concerned with this morning. The world power at the time, they'd been sweeping across the land and just taking over nations to the north. And finally in 722, actually obliterating the land, the northern kingdom of Israel and Samaria, their their capital. So that half of the kingdom of, of the kingdom of, of Israel was gone. It was just gone. And then they began to chip away at the north of, of Judah in the southern kingdom. They came down, they started to chip away, and they got down to Jerusalem or near Jerusalem. And Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, sent to Hezekiah, the king of, of Judah, a letter. And it was very threatening. And it was to be read in, you know, to him and in front of his officials and then some of the people that were gathered there. And they read it in, in their own language, even though they asked them not to but it struck fear in the hearts of the people. Hezekiah, you probably know the story, he took that letter and he spread it out before the Lord and he prayed for, for mercy and rescue. And the Lord rescued him. That night, 185,000 Assyrian troops fell dead of a plague. So overnight, 180, can you imagine? I just Unbelievable. It was enough for Sennacherib to think twice and said, hmm. And he went in retreat and he went back to, to Assyria and it wasn't long after that that he was actually killed by two of his sons, murdered while he was worshipping the god Nishrach. So they're safe for a while. After that, Hezekiah falls ill. He's sure to die, but he prays for healing. The Lord gives him 15 more years and he says the kingdom won't fall. This kingdom is going to fall that you're a part of. Judah will fall but it won't fall while you're alive. In the meantime, all this is happening, the, the new Babylonian empire rises, and they take over as world power. They take over where the Syrians left off. And Babylon was actually then used of God. This foreign, idolatrous nation was used of God to discipline his wayward people. And long story short, they lay waste to Jerusalem in 586 B.C., and they carry them into exile. Rather than slaughter the people, the Babylonians would carry them into exile and make them good Babylonians. And move their own people into, uh, into Jerusalem. So that's where they were. They were away from their homeland. They were away from where they really wanted to be. Where God had told them they would be. And they were in a place they, they really didn't want to be. You ever been there? So, that's a brief history. You can read more about that. I, I put it in the note sheet, Isaiah 36-39, 2 Kings 24-25. You can, you can read up on that. But I want to, to make this point that the prophecy that we're looking at this morning, Isaiah 40, was given for future exiles. It wasn't given when they were in exile. It was given before they went in exile. And we read, to comfort them. And in tenderness, God was preparing them for this. He would tell them that their their time of discipline would come to an end. Um, So it was addressed to a future waiting people. That rescue would eventually be accomplished through the Persians and King Cyrus, who would be the next world power after Babylon. Cyrus would decree the Jews return to their homeland, rebuild their city, their walls, their temple. And you can read in... And Ezra and Nehemiah about about those details. So that's kind of the background and the context. Now, um, I'm, I'm sure in preaching class, in homiletics, they taught me that there is only a certain amount of scripture you're supposed to read when, when delivering a message. I don't remember what that is. But I'm gonna we're gonna read the entire uh, chapter of Isaiah 40. It's 31 verses. I'm going to read fast. That's actually on the back of your note sheet if you want to use that there, your own Bible. Um, So anyway, the first five chapters, again, he's offering comfort. He's exhibiting a tenderness toward his people who he had disciplined. I like that. God offers tenderness even in the midst of discipline. He's telling them, I have not abandoned you. And he's telling them, you know, the mountains may load the valleys. He's saying, I'm on the move. I am on the move. So let's begin with verse 6. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? That's Isaiah. And this is the message. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Man, and all that he does is, all that he builds, all he put together, all these kingdoms that we just, I just... Gave you an overview. They just come, they go. They're like the flowers of the field. But the word of the God, word of God, is not like that. It is forever. It will endure forever, and you can count on His word. Um, verse nine. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. That's Isaiah again. That's the prophet. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Now remember, these this is to people. He's telling them how great God is, even though you know, they would have been, by you know when they apply this to their lives, they would have been in exile for a long time. Then it says in verse 12, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So he's not only great, he is good. He is a shepherd. He has taken these people as his sheep under his care. Great and good. Verse 12. So now we go on. This is like a theology of God and how great he is, how awesome. And are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel on all its trees. Nor are its beasts enough for burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and and emptiness. So God is being Displayed here as creator and maker of all things. He knows all things about what he has made. He is sovereign over those things. He's all wise. No one can teach him anything because he knows it all. He's omniscient. He is awesome. A long time ago I used to work on a large staff and there was a girl on that staff. Whenever in staff meeting somebody would say that something was off and she'd say, wait. And we'd go, okay, we know. She would say, only God is awesome. I think that's pretty good. Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? Ha. A craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He, is too, who is, he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol. And here's my interpretation, an idol that won't can't even move. The utter foolishness of idolatry, of substituting anything, in our lives for the greatness and glory of one true God. Do you not know, verse 21, do you not hear? This is sarcasm. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? He's saying, you've heard, you know, you've been told from the beginning. Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. That's us. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in? Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? So they had been told those things from the beginning, you know. And and uh, the Lord had already brought the prince of Assyria to nothing, and then the the king of Babylon, and then he brought it, you know Cyrus in to it would happen the same thing would happen to him. All these cycles of of kings and kingdoms and judgments, and they pass. Scarcely are they planted, these princes, these nations. Scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, and that these here are stars and the planets. He who brings out their host by number the host of stars, the host of planets, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So he, 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 he makes all things. Uh, he keeps everything that he's created in order. He, he, he's got their number. He's got their names. How could their, How could his people think He would he would do any less for them? But they do. Because look, Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? Now, let's don't judge these people too much, because when we have to wait for something for a long time, we might be tempted to think these things too. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint, or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So there is no cause or reason for Judah, nor us, to think that God doesn't know us, our troubles, or that he doesn't care about us. This faithless assumption is something we, we must resist. We must resist. Even even while we wait. So, I told you all that and read all that to tell you this. <laughs> okay? we're gonna, The passage that I really want us to look at is verses 29 to 31. And here we're going to find the way we can wait. God gives us a way to wait. A different way to wait. A new way for God's new people to wait. With confidence and enduring hope. Verse 29. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But, you might underline that, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wanted to read that because just that. I thought if you got no, if I you know if I did such a terrible job, you get nothing else from this morning. What a beautiful piece of scripture. When we look at verses twenty-nine and thirty. We can see that waiting. You already know this. Waiting is hard. The bigger the things you're waiting for, the harder it is. Waiting is hard. And it can take the sand right out of you. You know what sand is? You know what that means? It's it's kind of an old-fashioned term, but it means your grit, your determination, your strength of character. Waiting is hard. It can take the sand right out of you. And and verse 30 says, it'll even take the sand out of the most hardy of us. In other words, youths and young men. They will faint and fall exhausted when they're just waiting. It kind of reminds me, of, you know, there's a, like a, a sack of sand and and a hole's cut in it and that sand just drains out. You know, flattens you out. You've got no more grit. You've got no more hope, no more determination. Waiting's hard because we hate to wait, don't we? We hate waiting. That's just something human. It would be fun to to ask you when you hate to wait. Be, we don't really have time for that. But a couple of things that I hate to wait for is I hate to wait for slow, fast food. Have <laughs> you been there? You know, why do you go in fast food? It's not because it's so great. You go in there to get it and go. And then it's not fast. But it's slow and you end up waiting. It just like drives me crazy. And I recently I saw on, on TV uh, in... Aurora, Colorado, there was a, a brand-new In-N-Out burger, I think it's called. I've never seen one or been to one, but it was brand-new in Aurora, Colorado. It was a new thing. And so from, from on high, you see this line of traffic, and it just went on forever, and it went off there, and you didn't even see the end of it. And they said that some people waited for 14 hours at the drive-up for the In-N-Out burger. That's slow fast food. I hate that. I also hate waiting at the barbershop. I get my hair cut by my one of my daughters now because I used to go to this place and I would they didn't take appointments, so I'd try to judge, you know, when it would be a slow time. So I'd go in there and maybe be one or two in front of me, and I'd think, okay, maybe fifteen minutes, a half hour, an hour later, I would get in the chair, and then I would realize why it took so long. Because the person cutting my hair talked more. Then they cut. Ah, driving me crazy. I don't go there anymore. We're all waiting for pandemics to go away. I hate to wait for the pandemic to go away. I'll be glad when it's gone. So think about why do we hate waiting so much? Why do we hate it so much? Because there is a good side to waiting. We'll talk about that later. But here's some reasons I think we hate it so much. Number one, we've been trained and conditioned to live life in a hurry. I think most of us believe that quick is good and slow is bad. Greg could give his illustration about his, his uh, electric slow cooker there. But we've been, <laughs> the smoker, we've been trained to think that quick is good, slow is bad. And in that, we are conditioned more, more by the culture around us than we are by the Word of God. Things like, you know, fast food, high-speed Internet, quick travel, microwave ovens, microwave meals. On and on. You know, all those things kind of condition us. Secondly, I'll speak for myself. I'm self-centered and demanding. Expecting to have what I want when I want it. I don't often think of it this way. I should. But I, in, in the way I live, I prefer my timing over the Lord's timing. Now, how arrogant is that? Because I know what's best. We were talking about old songs in the back, which Larry was wrong about the association. They were a great group. But there was another rock band called Queen. And I think in the, somewhere in the 80s, maybe the early 90s, they had a song that had a theme of rebellion and social upheaval by young people. The young people they were then, now they're old. but here's here's what the chorus said and I bet you can finish it. I want it all. It's deep. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. Yeah. That's the way I am. I want it all. I want what I want and I want it now. I want my timing. I prefer that over the Lord's. Number 3. We love to be in control. Waiting robs us of that, or it robs us of the illusion of that. It shows us that we're not really in control. A long time ago, you used to see um, these bumper stickers all the time. They just used to make me laugh. you get them at the Christian bookstore, and it says, God is my co-pilot. Now, maybe maybe some of you had those, And but if you think it through, I used to think, well, if God is your co-pilot, what does that make you? You know, this awesome, great God, creator, sustainer of the universe is not got the wheel, but he's just over here kind of to help you out if you need any help, which you're pretty smart, so you probably won't. You know, we're not in control. And waiting reminds us of that. And the last one that I thought of is why we hate waiting is we are more interested in what we are trying to accomplish than in what the Lord might be up to in our lives by having us wait. I like to think of it that way. I think I know when you ask somebody, what are you up to? That means, you know, my, when my parents would ask me that, that had a, a negative tone. I don't mean it that way. You know, are you interested in what the Lord might be up to in your life since he has you waiting? That would be a good thing to do, wouldn't it? It really would. So, here's something to think about. It's obvious, I know. But... It's good to think about life is filled with waiting. Your life is filled with waiting. And I mean literally, not like we use that word so often, but literally filled with waiting. We wait to be born. We wait to grow up. We wait to die. We wait to get the job. We wait to retire from the job. We wait for church to begin. We wait for church to be over. We wait for Santa. We wait for spring. Come on, spring. We wait for pandemics to pass. We wait for husbands. Then we wait for husbands to get a clue. We, we wait for a good wife, and then we wait for wives to get ready to go. I could go on. But I think you see what I mean. Your life, my life, is filled with waiting. It always has been. It always will be. And then here's another thought. Read your Bible. God seems to typically do much of his work over long periods of time. Now, he doesn't always. I mean, he did kill those 185,000 Assyrian troops in one night. But for the most part, he does things over a long period of time. You know where the the first announcement of, of the Messiah was made? In the garden, after the fall. And then millennia passed before he came. And now we're waiting again for more millennia to pass, and for him to return. God typically does his work over long periods of time. He doesn't have to, but he most often does. The Jews that we were, were concerned with here this morning would wait 70 years for their rescue and their return for exile. That's three more years than I've been alive. A couple of generations. Some of them wouldn't make it. They'd be waiting a long time, just like we now are waiting for Christ's return and the consummation of his kingdom. So, all that being true, it seems like you know our lives are filled with waiting and God works over long periods of times. It seems like it would be good for us if we got better at waiting. If we didn't hate it so much, if we got better at it. Since we are waiters, it seems like it would be a good. Spiritual de- discipline to develop would be very helpful to us. You know, a long time ago, on you know, a planet far away, I was taught—I think—in discipleship class in one of the early rounds of the discipleship classes we all used to go through in community church—that God answers prayer in one of three ways. Isn't that right, Greg? He says yes. He says no. He says later, which means you gotta wait. So that's an answer. Wait is an answer. And when it's wait it's it's God having you wait so it's always for good reason, for a better time, for the Lord's timing. Maybe for something better, a better job, a better spouse, a better whatever. Or maybe it's you know just something that God is using to to cre- create some maturity in your life and to grow you up spiritually. I want to move on now to the last verse, which is verse 31. And there we we find the nugget that is this new way to wait for the people of God. I'm, I, I'm showing you a new way to wait. Now, I want to make a contrast here between just waiting, that, those are my terms, and waiting for the Lord. Contrast. There's just waiting on the one hand. On the other hand, something entirely different. Waiting for the Lord where it says but they who wait for the Lord when you're just waiting you're waiting for some thing you're waiting for the thing you're waiting for a person you're waiting for the government or Somebody to act, for people to respond and change, for the time to come, for circumstances to change, for the stars to align, for fate and luck to smile on you, for karma to come around. That's what just waiting is. It's kind of like stopping, being inactive. That kind of waiting is really hard. But there's waiting for the Lord. When we are called upon to wait, think of it that way, you're called upon to wait. We should understand that we are waiting for the Lord. We are waiting for the best. We're waiting for His way and His time. And think of it, whose timing do you really want? The best or yours? The Lord's timing or something less? What this verse tells us, really promises is that as If we'll stop just waiting and start waiting for the Lord, we'll find ourselves being renewed. We'll find his strength again and again for the long haul. That's what verse 31 says. The God who calls on you to wait will give you the necessary strength, ability, and confidence to do that waiting. I mean, think about it. What kind of God would he be if he called you to something that he didn't give you the grace and ability to do? Sometimes we call that enabling grace. You know, there's saving grace and there's dying grace. There's also common grace over all of the earth. But in between saving and dying grace, there's enabling grace. Grace is a gift. So as we wait for the Lord, we'll be given this enabling grace that will lift us, that will help us, that will strengthen us. So the big question is not what am I waiting for, but who am I waiting for? The focus should be not so much what, yeah, you're going to be mindful of it, what you're waiting for, but it's more the focus should be on who you're waiting for, why you wait for that. And, you know, that simple but vital correction will make a world of difference for you as you wait. God being sovereign, the sovereign of the world, if he's sovereign over everything, over every, as R.C. Sproul used to say, over every man and molecule, then every time we're waiting, we're waiting for him. I know, you would tend to say, really, really, everything? And I'd have to say, yeah, if he's sovereign. So we know that. We're always waiting for him. But the thing is, we need to practice. Because remember, we're kind of, We're kind of bent the other way. We're conditioned the other way. We need to practice keeping our focus on Him, embracing His timing, not just accepting it, embracing His timing rather than our own, and even praying simple prayers along the way like, Lord, I embrace Your timing from now on. I want to. Help me to do this. Lord, Your timing, not my own. Lord, give me enabling grace to wait for You. Those those are good practical prayers. Waiting for the Lord is a good thing, right? It's better than that. It's the best thing because he's the Lord. And this correction will lift your weary soul, allowing you to, as it says, mount up with wings like eagles. This is while you're waiting. To run and not be weary. To walk and not be faint. Waiting for the Lord rather than just waiting will allow you, in the meantime, while you wait, to carry on and to carry on very well for as long as the Lord tarries. Now, a quick little side note here. The Hebrew word that's... I don't know any Hebrew, so I had to look this up. But the Hebrew word we find translated as as wait for in the English Standard Version that I've given you on the back of your note sheet is sometimes... Translated as hope in. For instance, if you read the NIV, like I do a lot, it's but those who hope in the Lord. It's the same word, a little bit different translation. But I like to combine the two. And when I do, it sounds like this. If you are waiting for the Lord, you will never be short on hope. You'll have the sand of hope and confidence and grit to carry on. And I really can't emphasize enough this morning that shifting from just waiting to waiting for the Lord is what is known as a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift. A paradigm is a model or a way of of thinking about something, a way of uh, seeing it. A paradigm shift is defined as this, a change from one way of thinking to another, a way of looking at something differently, when a paradigm shift is made, we are enabled to see, think, feel, and behave differently. We have, as they say, stepped out of the box, and we just see it different. That, that has been happening in the world for ages. For example, Ptolemy thought that the earth was the center of the universe. Then Copernicus came along and led us to see that the sun was actually the center. Ta-da, paradigm shift. A long time ago, there used to be the flat earth theory, right? Didn't venture out very far in the oceans. Then somebody came along and said, no, the the earth's round. And boom, here we are in a new world, right? Paradigm shift. The Bible talks about us when we believe, we, we exchange a heart. God takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. We go from darkness to light. The, the, the truth of God that used to seem like foolishness to us is no longer seems foolishness. That's a paradigm shift. We probably have those kind of things happen in our lives all the time. This can be one of them. I remember I had a, a paradigm shift um, about loving my wife once. I was in the backyard taking care of our dog, Rosie. And uh, I hope you won't hate me. I'm not a dog person. I'm not a pet person. I just didn't grow up with them. But now it's been three or more decades and four, four dogs, and we still have one. Um, but we had Rosie, and she was an outside dog, and she was probably the best dog we ever had. And um, but somehow it just didn't click with me. It was more, it was me, not Rosie. And, um, you know, I didn't, hopefully didn't treat her too bad, but I just didn't care much for her. And I had, I had, you know, Linda worked during the day, so there were times when I had to care for her. One day when I was out there either cleaning up or feeding her or something, something clicked in my head and said, you know, Linda loves Rosie, and Rosie loves Linda. And, dummy, when you love Rosie, you love Linda. And um, that was news to me. But it was a paradigm shift. Totally changed my mind about Rosie. Here's another thing we should see. Waiting confidently, waiting patiently for the Lord is a strong expression of faith and love. Waiting patiently, confidently for the Lord is a tremendous expression of belief in Him and love for Him. It it pleases God and gives Him the glory He rightfully deserves. Waiting for the Lord with your hope intact, firmly affixed to Him, is really worship. When you're waiting for the Lord confidently, you're worshiping Him, this God we read about in this great prophecy. So let me ask you this. This this has probably been running through your mind maybe this whole time but i just kind of think about it what are you waiting for this morning and i don't mean the general things you know, that i've already mentioned although those are great and really greater than anything else to wait for jesus return but what are those specific things that come under that that you're waiting for this morning i know some of them must be must be great it could be healing It could be for reconciliation. It could be you're waiting for something that you've tried to make happen for a long time and you've not been able to do it. And you're worn down. You're weary. You're like those youths that fainted and fell, crushed. What are you waiting for this morning? Here's some counsel if you find yourself in that place. Just really quick. Number one, go home and read Isaiah 40. It's good counsel. It's beautiful. Maybe even if you're really struggling, read it once a day. Once every day this week. Let it kind of frame each day. Secondly, in meditation and prayer, try seek to shift all of your waiting from the thing itself, the thing you hope to see happen, to the Lord. Give it to Him, to the Great Shepherd of your soul. And remember, Jesus bid us. He said... Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I might add in all you who have been waiting and waiting, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You'll mount up with wings, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, a part of waiting is getting in the yoke with Jesus. Getting in his yoke. Not your yoke. <laughs> Getting in the yoke with Jesus and learning from Him and learning from His timing. Embracing His timing. Even growing to like it. Could we grow to like God's timing better than our own? I think we could. With God's help. Number three, become interested in what God is up to in your life. Why He is calling on you and to wait it might be frustrating, but it has to be good. He is causing you to wait. It has to be for a good reason. You might not yet know it yet, but He do. He knows it. So anticipate the good that will come from it. And then one more thing. While you're waiting for Him, remember this is just a little counsel for people who are waiting. While you're waiting for Him, fill the time with waiting on Him. A lot of times when we have to wait, we just become inactive. Like, oh, what can I do anyway? Don't do that. You're waiting for the Lord. So while you're waiting for Him, wait on Him. Choose activity over inactivity. Be a good waiter. or a good Isn't it good to have a good waiter at a restaurant? Yeah. Be a good waiter, a servant while you are waiting. Take a less demanding posture. Take the posture of a servant whose time is not his own. So I'm running out of time. i got one more closing thought real quick. Pastor Tom used to say from Community Church Southport, you know what it means when a pastor takes off his watch and puts it up there on the platform? He said, absolutely nothing. (laughs) Um, It just means something to me. Here's just kind of a thought for the road. It's possible that while you have been waiting, The Lord has been waiting for you. It's possible while you've been even waiting for Him, He's been waiting for you. There's been more than one time in my life where that was the case. Probably the first one that I remember really well was, um, Linda and I got married when we were juniors in college, and then after we graduated, you know, I was going to that was about 1976. I was going to go out and land the job. I had majored in social work. I was going to go out and I was going to heal the world and, you know, do everything good. But I didn't find a job. I didn't, I didn't ever find any job except sort of odd jobs until uh, the better part of a year later. And, you know, I went through. I did everything I could do to try to find jobs. And one of the last things I was doing, I was going through. Remember that we used to have phone books and yellow pages? I was going through the yellow pages and calling businesses on my lunch hour. And I'd gotten all the way to the whys. I was losing sand fast. I got all the way to the whys. And there was the next line was youth for Christ. So I thought, well, why not? You know, it's got youth in it. You kinda want to work with kids, but it might be ministry. So I called them, long story short, I started working for them. But I had this thought, you know, wait a minute, this is not just a job, this is ministry. And I've never wanted to be in ministry. In fact, when I was a little kid, I grew up in the church. And I didn't write it down or say it out loud, but I decided I ain't going to be a pastor. Because all the pastors I ever knew were weird. And I mean, you see what I mean? I mean, I just checked it off the list. You know, baseball player, football player, fireman, you know, cool things, cowboy. But not a pastor. So I found out that all that time that I was waiting, the Lord was waiting on me to have a paradigm shift in my life. So 41 years later, I retired from the ministry. You know, maybe a good regular practice would be to sit quietly and ask this, Lord, is there something you are waiting for me to do? And if there is, what is it? To love to act in faith, to take a step forward or a step back, to reach out, to serve, to rest, to change a direction, to step up. What is it? Is there something you are waiting for me to do? I want to leave you with this, just this simple thought. This is kind of the nut of it all. Don't just wait and step, step into waiting for the Lord because He is our great hope
0: and He will never fail. Thank you, brother. What a good word. Let's pray. We need some enabling grace because we're waiting. Heavenly Father, we just rejoice in your word today. Thank you for your servant who brought that so faithfully to us. And, And we all need to hear those verses. We all need to hear that truth. And we're not just waiting. We're waiting for the Lord. And there is not one bit of waiting that you call us to that you will not provide what we need to be faithful to the end of that. And so, Lord, we do pray for that today. We pray for that enabling grace, the strength that makes our weakness disappear to help us wait one more minute, to help us have hope in the midst of all of this that's going on, to ask you to humble ourselves and ask you are you waiting on me? What is it you want to accomplish in me, in my life? While all of this is going on. So Lord, we pray you'd open our eyes and our hearts to your will and your way. We pray for that perseverance. We pray for that faithfulness from the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for not giving up on us, for waiting on us to get where you want us to be before that door opens, before that kid comes back, before that miracle happens, before that job comes through, before the pandemic goes away. You are good. You are awesome. We put our trust in you today. That your timing is going to be perfect in our lives. That you will accomplish just what you want in our hearts, in our families, in our church, our neighborhood, our, our city, our state, our nation, and our world. You are sovereign. We are everyone, every man, every molecule. So we're going to go out and rest in your promises today because they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So Lord, as we go, I pray you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. Pray your fruits would be born in our life. And we'd remember that we're waiting on you in the midst of all that's going on. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Lord bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online. 5 o'clock. Jingle bells. Jingle bells.